Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Well, uh, what does it take? What does it take to withstand even one of the deadliest storms? Destruction all around you, yet you stand even in the midst of the storm. Take a look. As the hurricane's eyes sped toward the Panhandle's coast, King's eye was glued to his security cameras, which captured it all. It was awful. The camera got turned around upstairs, so then we got to watch the pier and all the homes on the pier street on 375. The home he and his nephew had built just a year prior was one of just two still inhabitable on his street. We did the things that we could that we thought would increase survivability. That included leaving vinyl out of the design process. A full hip roof where all sides sloped downwards to the walls and hundreds of hurricane clips. We got all the six of clips. There's probably three thousand dollars in hurricane clips up there now. <laughs> to sustain two hundred and fifty mile an hour winds. The panhandle's code is for one hundred and twenty miles an hour, and Michael's gusts reached one fifty. The home sustained minor damage, a broken outdoor fan, and a bit of flooding, along with two cracked windows. It was the strength of the glass in those windows, King says, that spared the home. This got hit by we don't know what. Maybe one of our own papers, something from the neighborhood, we don't know. We lose this window, we can lose this house. Because when this window is compromised, the wind comes in, it's waiting for what to do next. As you see this picture, I want you to think about all, all the destruction around it, yet this house stood tall. It didn't fall, it wasn't destroyed, and why? Because it had been built differently, right? It, it had reinforced concrete walls, it had foundation pilings that went 40 feet deep. I didn't even know what pilings were until this week. I was doing some studying, right? Attention to structural detail. Listen, it wasn't built to meet the minimum requirements. Sacrifice and care were invested before the storm ever came, and because of that, it stood tall. I'm not sure today how you would describe the world in which you're living, the circumstances you're facing, the difficulties that you're encountering, but in this life, we will experience storms, won't we? I don't have to tell you that because some of you are experiencing one now. You you feel like you're in the midst of a storm, overwhelming, 
overwhelming. In fact, we've learned that in this life, in this world, the storm is the norm, right? That, that's, that's what we come to expect. And it seems like way too much. And it seems like it's going to blow you over. But God has a plan for you. His best plan will allow you to stand. Even in the midst of the most difficult storm. And today, you are surrounded by men, by, by women, by young people. Who even in the midst of the storm are standing. Because, because of God's help. And so we today, we're going to talk about the blueprint, the, the plan. Imagine, again, that there is a blueprint available to us to help us stand no matter the storm. Welcome back. Welcome back to our series called Building Blocks. Today we conclude a series. And, and the purpose for this series is really about one question. The question is this. What is the foundation of our faith? What is the building blocks of our faith? What is it, if we're building a house to withstand the storm, what is it that's foundational? What is it, not, not just to meet minimum standards, but what is it that will lay a foundation? And so we began back in week one talking about prayer. Uh, we looked at the way Jesus prayed, the way that he taught his followers to pray, and we discovered tools to experience a greater and a more abundant prayer life, a deeper connection with God. Prayer is the foundation. It must be a building block. It must be a building block of our faith. Week two, we talked about Sabbath. We talked about one of the greatest gifts given to us that, that often is collecting dust, that often goes unopened in our lives, and that's the gift of Sabbath rest. Listen, when God created the heavens and the earth, he took time to rest. The God who had all power, unlimited power and resource, he took time to rest. And in doing so, he laid the foundation for us to learn what it is to truly, truly rest. In a world of stress and hurry, a building block of our faith is Sabbath rest. Uh, the third week, we talked about worship. Worship must be a building block for us. Listen, we were created to worship. That's what you were created to do, uh, to, to cultivate a lifestyle of worship and also to do what we just did, to gather in corporate worship. Something happens when we gather together as believers and we worship together. Uh, his name is exalted. I love how uh, Pastor Jeanette put it. She said, make worship your lifestyle and you will have life. We believe that's true as we worship. It is a building block for us. And last week, last week was Vision Sunday for us. And if you weren't here, I would implore you, please, please go back and, and listen online, not just so that you have to hear me talk, um, but, but so that you can be a part of the exciting vision to which God is calling us to plant a new campus, Spanish-speaking campus in Waynesboro uh, next October. And part of that vision as we talked, a part of that is the importance of going together. Listen, we were created for community. You were created. It doesn't matter how introverted you think you are. You were created to be in community with others. You need others and others need you. We were created for this, to love each other, to serve each other. We can't do it alone. And listen, as believers in Christ, we don't want to do it alone. We need community together. That's why it's a building block for us. And today, today we're going to close out our series talking about the building block uh, of giving. That as believers in Christ, we are called to give. Listen, don't take my word for it. Go back uh, in Acts chapter 2, back at the, at the beginning of the church. Jesus has just left this earth, and the day of Pentecost has come, and the church as we know it uh, was born. <laughs> and look at the DNA of the church. I have it on the screen behind me of what's happening as the church is born. Just, just these few verses in Acts chapter 2, it says this. 
all of the believers were together. That sounds like community, doesn't it? Well, that's cool. All of the believers were together. They had everything in common. But listen, look at what happens. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. There's community, right? In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church is, is growing. And the Lord is adding to their number. But in the midst of that, we see, we see generosity. Generosity is the foundation of the New Testament church. And I want to begin with the question that I often ask when I study Scripture. It's a question that's often asked to me by my six-year-old, not necessarily about Scripture. But that question, why? Why? We've all asked that question. That question's been asked of us. But I would ask that question today. Why is generosity the foundation of this New Testament church? Did the Apostle Paul get up and say, hey, if you're going to do this, you better start being generous? Well, no, I don't see that evidenced anywhere. I, I just see it happening, right? So why? Why is it... <laughs> Why is it that as God's spirit is at work, a, a willingness to be generous is just birthed out of them, to give generously and sacrificially and obediently? Why is that? Well, you may say it's because money is an idol and our stuff can be an idol. And, and yes, that's true. Jesus spoke to that often. Uh, we, we can read that. But I don't think that's the full answer here. I don't think that's the best why. As we seek to understand why, why is this? Why are these early believers uh, compelled by generosity? I believe the reason is because if we look at our nature, the nature of, yes, these early believers, but, but our nature today, we have a nature, uh, a sin nature that's bent towards self. You and I are born with a nature, and that nature says it's all about me. Just watch a two-year-old interact with a two-year-old for a few minutes, and you'll see that two-year-old knows it's me, mine, right, right? We are born with that nature, that nature that says me, 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 right? That's our natural inclination. We, we start selfish, and apart from God's work cleansing our hearts, we will be hopelessly selfish, We'll spend our lives battling, warring against that selfish pride, that selfish desire, that desire that says everything in my life, the things that I can uh, accumulate and accomplish and touch and hold, it's all mine. That will be our posture apart from the work of God in our lives. And it's a false sense of security, right? It doesn't, we, we think it's going to give us hope, but it doesn't. It doesn't. As a pastor, I sometimes worry about the consumeristic culture that has grown up around us in the Western world, where people think that, that first and foremost, it's about what they can get from God, what they can get from the church, rather than a heart to say, God, what can I give? How can I serve? The truth is, church, we are not here. We weren't placed here on this earth to be served, but our nature <laughs> Our nature that wars against us, our sinful nature, will constantly tell us that it's all about me. And so why? Why do I believe that generosity is present here? Because as the Spirit of God truly moves in our hearts, that nature dies within us. We die to that selfish nature. We realize we don't have to live for me, me, me anymore. I don't have to live a me first life anymore. And so what's the natural response is a response of generosity generosity. 
We can celebrate the freedom in giving, the freedom. We don't have to hold so tightly to our stuff. We can give it away with joy, share gladly. And that's the DNA of what's happening here in Acts chapter 2, right? They're giving to anyone that has needs. They're laying down what they have for the good of others around them. Turn with me. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I said all that to get us to where we're going today. The Apostle Paul is going to help us. Uh, he's going to speak to a church, a group of believers, some 20 years later. After this book of Acts encounter and as these believers, these early believers are being generous, right? The DNA of the Spirit of God moving in their heart is generosity. But now he's going to teach uh, a, a church about this idea of, of giving and generosity. And so I want to lean in this morning. We're going to go verse by verse. You're going to see it on the screen behind me, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'll stop periodically throughout this text to talk a little bit on, on what God's Word is saying to us today about the building block of giving. Uh, Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Paul's speaking to them about giving, and let's be careful here because there are some believers that have used this, this verse alone, again, taken out of context of everything that's going to come after it, and they said, oh, oh, this is great. So if I want something really good, I'm going to give. And if I give enough to the Lord or enough to other people, God's going to give me what I really want. And we know that that's not biblical at all. That's not at all what Paul's saying. And, and if you keep reading, like we're going to do in a minute, you'll see that. But giving is not about getting. Listen, that's a crazy thought, isn't it? Giving is not about getting. If you're giving in order to get, you're not really giving at all, right? If I give you a gift because I'm really hoping you're going to give me a that's not really the spirit of giving, is it? That's not really the spirit of generosity. That's, I'm going to give this to you so you can give. Right, right? That's not at all what God's desire is, what his best is, and that's not at all what Paul is saying. And if you don't believe me, keep reading verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. So our attitudes as we give matters. Our attitudes matter. Uh, that, that we're not supposed to give out of reluctance. We're not supposed to give out of some duty or obligation. If you're coming to the Lord or you're coming to church or you're, you're giving or serving in any way, being generous out of some duty, don't do it. <laughs> That's not pleasing to the Lord. That's just some form of religion, some form of I better do this, I better do this. That, that's not what God wants. He, wants. he wants cheerfulness in our hearts. He wants an attitude of, of cheerfulness. There was a season in this church when it was time to, to give through, through tithes and offerings and people began to cheer and some people were like, what is happening? It's because we were expressing that desire to be cheerful in our giving. Let's keep reading verse 8. And God, listen, this is good stuff. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We're going to come back to that verse in a minute. Verse 9, he points us back to the Psalms. It says, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Listen, God is able to bless you. It's all his after all. It's all his. But Paul's reminding these believers, God is able to bless you. He created it all. He owns it all. It's all his. And he's able to bless you. But, but not just for your benefit. Look, look at what it says in the very next verse. So that, 
Why is God able to bless you so that you can live a rich and happy life and have everything you need and never struggle and never? No, that's not his purpose. Look at what it says. He's able to bless you. Why? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. I love the absolutes here. If you have your copy of scripture, go back and circle those. Listen, God's word is saying, in all things. That sounds like everything in my life, right? At all times. That sounds like when I'm in the storm and when I'm not, when, when things feel really good in my life and when they don't. Having all you need. That really sounds like God's word is saying, all that I need. Yeah. <laughs> Abound in every good work. Listen, God is able to bless you, but not, not for your gain and benefit. Not so that you could just live a comfortable, happy life. Some of us are a little confused when we're in the midst of a storm because we thought, well, I thought God was going to give me a comfortable, happy life, and that's not at all what God's Word says. But listen, God's Word says that God is able to bless you abundantly, not, not for your own benefit. What? So you can abound in giving to others. So you can abound in being a blessing to others. We're not done yet. It keeps building on it. Look at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase. Not just supply, but he'll increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. I love what the New Living Translation says here. It says he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity. I love that idea, that God wants to produce in you a harvest of generosity. That's beautiful, right? In this Thanksgiving season as we're coming, God wants to produce in us a harvest of generosity. And then really look at verse 11. It's kind of the end, final statement here. You will be enriched in every way, Paul says, so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. As God enriches you, Paul says, as God blesses you, as he supplies your needs, he does so. Why? So you can be generous. Does God bless you so you can be happy? No. God, God doesn't want you to be miserable. God doesn't want you to suffer unnecessarily. That's not it. But, but God doesn't bless us. God doesn't give us things in our lives just so we can be happy. He doesn't give us things in our lives so that we can be comfortable and, and live a safe life. That's not, what, what is God's word says? God blesses us. Why? So we can be a blessing. So we can be generous. From God's perspective, wealth is not a reward. Listen, there is some really, really unbiblical teaching that happens. And, and it's not true. According to God's word, listen, wealth is not a reward. It's intended not to be accumulated or hoarded for my benefit. Wealth is really comes with the expectation that we give. Whatever you have comes with an expectation from God that we give. Why? Because it's his. That's what James says. Every good and perfect gift in my life is from him. And so when we give, it's not so much about giving, but it's really about giving back to him, the one who has given us all, because really, really it's all his in the first place. Here's a fun video to help illustrate that point for us.
Dude, he brought the pie, right? He made the pie. It's all his. And listen, what a, what a, a kind of a fun illustration, but the reality is in the hearts and minds of believers where God has, has come and, and purified us from that, that selfish desire, that, that need to serve self, there's a freedom, there's a release from having to, to hold tightly to the things that we, we realize it's all his and whatever I have, God, help me to use it to be a blessing, to serve, to be generous to others. I love getting to be around generous people, and I know you do too. And it's not just because you're going to get something, right? It's because b- being around people who have this spirit of generosity, it's so infectious. It changes me. It, it changes us. I had some specific people in mind this week as I was thinking about generosity. One is an individual in our church. Um, this person doesn't have a lot, but, but what they have, they give. In fact, uh, this lady, she, she cooks, she bakes, and she does so as a service of generosity to others. In fact, she begins with, with her neighbors and those right there on her street who need it the most, who need a touch, an encouragement. She is exemplif- exemplifying a life of generosity. I have another, I was, I was recalling, I was thinking of this week, and this individual has gone above and beyond with her time. She's ministered to several individuals in our community and in this church, and one particular individual who has struggled to get the resources that they need, the, the care that they need, to get the answers that they need. And so this individual has advocated, has used her voice and her influence to go to appointments, connect this individual to valuable services in our community. It's a spirit of generosity, not doing anything because she had to, but because she's generous, generous. I was thinking of another person who came to mind 15 plus years ago. He's not a part of this church, but, but a man who, who owned his own business. And I was in, in, in transition in ministry. I, I, I knew that God had, had called me to ministry and wasn't sure what my next step was. And so he owned his own business and he made up a job for me. I, it didn't even exist. I'm not even sure the job was that helpful. But he made up a job and employed me for as long as I needed to be employed so that I could have the freedom and the time to pray about what God's next step for me and make sure that my family was provided for. It was one of the most generous things anyone's ever done for me. 
generosity is beautiful. You have stories. I know I overheard several stories today, people just talking about people that have impacted their life. A neat story from this past week, and they were beautiful stories of generosity. It's beautiful, and when you experience it, I believe it changes you. Around this room today, many of you here have been changed because of someone else's generosity. See, here's the problem. When we focus on giving, especially in church, right? Oh boy, we have questions. Pastor, how much do I have to give? How much is enough? Who should I give to? How often? Do I have to give money? Can I just give my time? All the questions that we have in looking, I've had those too, right? But see, the early church, we started in the book of Acts. They, They weren't really concerned at all with these types of questions, and neither was the apostle Paul Because their focus wasn't on giving as a requirement, but their focus was instead on generosity. Look at at verse 11 again on the screen. Look at what Paul is exhorting, instructing them to do. Look at the presence of this word generous again. You will be enriched in every way. God will bless you in every way so that, why? You can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your, there's the word again, generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul is casting a vision of radical generosity. That's who God is. That's who Jesus was. To know him, to know the story of God is to experience radical generosity. If you were observing the life of Jesus, that wouldn't be shocking to you, right? Jesus talked about greater love lays down his life, lays down her life for the friend. That's generous. The definition of being a disciple, the way people know. Jesus said, the way people know that you belong to me is the magnitude, the generosity of your love. That was the way of Jesus. It was the way of generosity. Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. It's better. That's what Jesus said. And then, of course, God the Father demonstrated his love. What does John 3, 16 say? In this way, God so loved the world that he gave. God was generous, wasn't he? The story of God is the story of a generous God. And then Jesus embodied that spirit, that life of generosity. I wonder today how you would define Generosity. I asked a few people, good definitions. Uh, One said sacrificing for others when you don't have to. That's generous. Another person said doing more than is expected. Think about that house that it was being built, right? But but they built, they they did more than what's required. That's generosity, right? I, I love that. Others said putting others before yourself. I I wanna suggest the question though when it comes to generosity is not how much do I have to give? What does God want from me? How much does he expect? I get those questions. I understand those questions, but I want to suggest a different question. See, the real question today isn't, does God want my stuff? The real question is, does God have my heart? Does God have my heart? The reason that giving is a building block of our faith is because of that question right there. Does God have our heart? Am I willing in my life to give God everything but... Not that, and not that, and not that. Am I willing to serve him, but not in this way, in this way? Am I willing to be generous, but not with that, and not with that, and not with that? Because listen, generosity, generosity is the response to the reality that God has my heart. 
Interesting, for generations, all the way back to the Old Testament, believers have practiced this discipline of tithing. Tithing, you might hear us talk about that, our tithes and our offerings. Tithing literally means a tenth. And it's traced all the way, it's, it's before Jesus. It's all the way back in the Old Testament to Abraham. He gave a tenth, his first 10% of his best to God. And we believe in that today. We still, in this room, practice uh, our, our members uh, all around the room today, people commit to give a tithe. It's one of the few things in Scripture where God says, test me in this. In Malachi chapter 3, God says, test me in this. And so we do. But you know what's interesting? Even that practice of a biblical storehouse tithing, it would be easy for some to say, well, that is the standard of generosity. But that's not true. Again, it's asking the wrong question. Some of us, how much do I have to give? Well, you got to tithe. That's, that's generosity. But that's not true. And the reason it's not true is because Jesus in Matthew 23, he comes in face to face with religious leaders and Pharisees. And they were experts at tithing. They were so good at tithing, they didn't just tithe off their money. They tithed off their cumin and their dill, their spices. They gave a tenth of that away. I mean, they were experts at tithing. And yet... Jesus in Matthew 23 calls them out. He says, woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you religious leaders. Yeah, you give a, a, a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Listen, Jesus calls for the believer to tithe. We believe in that. But why was Jesus reprimanding the Pharisees who were so good at tithing? Because they hadn't given them their heart. They were giving their money or their finances or their, or their spices. They were experts at that, but they hadn't surrendered their heart. The New Testament church wasn't just giving a tithe. It was giving all. They didn't hold anything back. And listen, before you get skeptical this morning, generosity is not just about our treasure, is it? You can see on the screen behind me, generosity is also about our time, giving our time. We can be generous with our time, can't we? We can be generous with our talent, using our giftings to strengthen and build up others. We can use our touch, investing in relationships meaningfully around us. You don't have to look far to see examples of generosity because today you are sitting in the midst of people. This is a generous church. I know you're looking at me saying, Pastor, that's what you have to say. You're the pastor. No, no, no. Listen, if there was one, two things I could say about this church, this church is a generous church. In fact, if you don't like being generous, you're going to be miserable here because you're surrounded by people that we love to be generous we do, because we, we just believe that as God works in our life, he, he frees us from this, this obligation towards self, and we want to be generous. We want to serve. We want to sacrifice. We want to give. There's a picture on the screen that I showed last week as part of our Vision Sunday, and it's a picture of this property. It was just a dirty lot, right? It was just literally dirt, dirty lot, right? It was just dirt, a field. Nothing was here. But people were generous. Not just with their finances, they were <laughs> But they sacrificed, they served, they cared, they gave of their talents and of their time. And today, we're here, and not just us, but three campuses and multiple ministries are here because of the generosity, because God, God so moved in the hearts of believers that were a part of this local church that they just decided, I want to be generous. Whatever I have in my life, God, I want to be generous. I want to be generous. Today, I want to challenge you to hold 
all that you have loosely. Can I be honest? Most of the things in my life I hold, I hold very tightly. This is a picture of me. I can make fun of my kids and they're keeping their, that's mine. That is absolutely the posture of me in my life most of the time. I hold on to everything that I have tightly. But the gospel calls us to, the spirit of God calls us to hold all that we have loosely and give what you have freely. Listen, listen, God's not asking you today to be generous with what you don't have. So stop worrying about that. Stop worrying about what you don't have. Come before the Lord, a spirit of generosity says, Lord, what what do I have and how can I use what I have to be a blessing? That's the spirit of generosity. I want to show you one last picture. It's a picture of of Grace. Literally, her name's Grace. (laughs) I was talking to Pastor Jared this week and uh, as he was preparing at East Rock to preach today on this same message, we were just talking about the impact of generosity on our lives and he shared this story and so I'm going to share it uh, just in closing with permission. This is Grace. Uh, literally, her name is Grace. And Pastor Jared, I, I never got to meet Grace, but Pastor Jared did. He was on a, a, a trip with a group uh, from this church and others, a natural disaster response team to West Virginia a couple years ago as they had experienced flooding and natural disasters there. And so this group was going, Pastor Jared was going with this team and their job was to be generous, right? I mean, they, they had raised money to go on the trip. They had already given money to the victims. They were giving of their time and their talents, of their resources. They were going to be generous. And as Jared just tells the story, as I was going to be generous, I met Grace. And Grace's life uh, had been destroyed. Her house had been destroyed, everything she owned. Literally, her life was sitting with her in trash bags in the front yard. Everything she had, that was it. And yet, she, in this picture, was encouraging them. She's pointing to a scripture in Isaiah 41, verse 10. And so Grace, who had lost everything, is pointing to this scripture. Do not fear, says the Lord, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, says the Lord, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Pastor Jared, as we were talking, he said, you know, I, we, we came to be generous to her, but in being generous, we were touched and ministered to by her generosity, by her love, by her care for us. And, you know, that's, that's how God works. When it says in Corinthians, you'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving. I believe in the life of every believer who truly surrenders to the work of God, to the power of his spirit. When we give him permission to really work, when we don't hold anything back, when we say, God, you can have my heart. Whatever I have, God, you can use. Not only will he use us to bless others, to be a blessing, but so many times in my life, I have received, I have been blessed way more, not even financially, not in my bank account, but in so many other ways, just like Grace's story, right? You show up to be a blessing and time and time again, God will bless you. And so I want to challenge you today, church, let's be the kind of people Let's be the kind of people who hold what we have loosely. Why? Because it's all his and we can't take any of it with us anyway. We're living on borrowed time. This life, James says, is like a breath. It's like a mist. 
here today and gone tomorrow. So let's not hoard what we have. Let's not hold so tightly to what we have, but let's say collectively as a church, God, you have my heart. Whatever I can do to be a blessing to others, whatever you can do to use my life, whatever time I have left on this earth to be a blessing to others, God, would you do that for your glory. Stand with me, church. Stand as we prepare to close. I want to pray over you, and I want to pray with you today as you stand. God, today, move in our hearts so that we don't desire to live a me-first life, so we don't go through this world. There's some in this world that are anxious and weary and afraid because they feel like they don't have enough. They won't have enough. They live their life constantly feeling like they don't have enough, Lord. And that's a real challenge that many in this room face. But God, today you're not asking for what we don't have. You're just asking us to trust you with what we have. To believe that living a life of generosity is far better than living a life centered on self. And so, Lord... Only you can do that. Only you can do that in our hearts. Thank you for the ways that you've worked and moved in the hearts and lives of men and women that have been a part of this local church. We're here today because you have moved in the hearts and lives of others and brought about a spirit of generosity. I'm asking you, Lord, to do that again in my heart. I'm asking you to do that again in us. I'm asking, Lord, that there would be nobody today in this room, in this space, who would hold back from you, but instead we would say, Lord, oh, make me generous. Lord, use what I have to bless others, to be a blessing. And Lord, every time we do that, we get blessed. Every time that we say yes to you, Lord, you, you bless us. And so we, we love you and we thank you as we spend some time praying and responding to you. Would you come? Would you speak to us now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.